what's happening everybody and welcome back to another episode of rapping with reef bum i'm your host keith Berkelhammer. so today i have the pleasure of welcoming back kevin berta from top shelf aquatics what's up there kevin hey how you doing Good, man good to see you uh kevin is one of the owners of top shelf aquatics and runs their coral farm he was on the show i think about a couple of years ago right kevin it's been a couple of years and uh yeah sounds about right time i think flies. i bumped into you at uh it might have been restock that uh i saw you i think you guys were there and uh yeah we're yeah, we uh we're talking and what have you i was like gotta get you back on the show so here you are yeah. Oh, yeah um before we uh start chatting though with kevin i want to thank the sponsors for this show both bulk reef supply and ecotech marine I appreciate these companies supporting the live stream and also appreciate all you folks out there tuning in i see there's a bunch of you coming in right now so please uh as always i request to hit that like button and uh subscribe to the channel please that would be awesome and as usual encourage comments and questions from the audience i see a bunch of uh folks from familiar faces andy what's happening amanda meckley what's happening um rob upstate new york hey there yes yes so uh well kevin this is uh this is we're, we're kind of continuing a trend here what uh, we started with with uh, chris meckley when i had him on and and we also did this with chris wood from captivate uh, aquaculture you and uh, TSA have generously agreed to give away two grafted coral packs to two lucky viewers tonight during the live stream. And each pack, and, and the retail value in each, in each of these packs is 750 bucks. so this is not chump change, is going to be... Oh, yeah, it's yeah, nice stuff. Um, a TSA Tequila Sunrise Grafted Satosa. And let me see if I can... Um, pull up the uh the pictures here that's the uh that's pretty cool man the uh the grafted uh, satosa a um tsa nuclear fusion which is uh that coral right there a tsa raspberry splice grafted acrel which is really i'm digging that man that is just cool that's that's uh you got purple and you got green in the same acro. That's pretty wild. As well as a TSA Danger Zone Monty. So these are some badass looking corals, guy. Here, I mean, this is uh, this is this is pretty cool, to say the least. Um, yeah. So we, uh, what's happened there, Chris from ACI? We. Um, we're gonna we're gonna do this giveaway at some point during the live stream, so everybody's gonna have to stay glued watching us to um, to get the instructions on how to enter the uh, the giveaway. I know we've had a few giveaways and and we've done it a certain way. So, um, but at some point in time, we'll give the folks you know that are coming into this live stream maybe not right off the bat, but a little bit down the road, a chance at the uh, the giveaway as well. So, um, yeah. Stick with me, and and we'll uh, we'll do the giveaway at some point in the uh, in the stream. So, <clears throat> Kevin, I mentioned it's been a couple of years since you've been on the live stream, and we we did talk a lot about in terms of how you guys like to run your systems. 
Can can you kind of go through mm -hmm. like briefly just um, so folks can um, re, you know get get a good refresh in terms of how you guys you know the kind of equipment that you like to use lighting you know filtration nutrient export UV so on and so forth. Uh, so generally speaking, we run our systems a lot like you would uh, you know a normal aquarium or display tank um, where we you know have some taller systems they aren't just a bunch of shallow frag tank troughs so if you've seen a lot of the the video tours and things that we've kind of had um, reef builders show off in the past or some of the other people have passed through you'll be able to visualize it a little bit better but a lot of them are big linked tanks in series and we have pretty high turnover rates um, run filter socks since these have a high high quantity of coral really packed in there we tend to under skim a bit since they're not slam packed full of fish so a little lower ratio to skimming that, than what you typically have on your reef tank uh, we do run refugiums in pretty much all of our systems as well we really do like that for the boost in um, you know ph and and the ability to kind of level that uh, in addition to nutrient export like you mentioned um, so the skimming combined with the refugiums are ways that we will dial those things in. Uh, we also sometimes run reactors as well using things like GFO if we need to balance things out. Um, you know, sometimes we balance nutrients as well by dosing a little phosphate or nitrate. Um, in addition to that, you know, power heads primarily, I would say most of the farm is run with a vortex. You know, they're very reliable. Uh, typically strong pumps that get a wide range of flow. You know, we also use the CHA Voyagers. Uh, they're really, really strong, more directional pumps. Uh, we've incorporated those in a lot of our SPS grow-out tanks to create a surge flow where we actually have them timed up where they'll blast from one side and then blast to the other side in an alternating schedule that will run periodically throughout the day to really, um, you know, keep things clean and and simulate more of a natural environment for those corals um, and they work really really well for just blasting the bare bottom tanks too just to really keep that bottom clean so you know that's mostly what we're using there for lighting uh typically we're running radions on the majority of the systems we still use g4s on a lot of our tanks that are taller just because we have them mounted pretty mm -hmm. high up um, with those SPS corals, that penetration, you really need that punch on those um, where we're working in there a lot. We don't want those right on the water. But we have the um, you know new G6s on a handful of those systems as well. Some of them are running some hybrid T5, uh, as well as some old school metal halides in there too, in some of the, the bigger SPS colony grow out systems. Um, we also even run some Kessels. Uh, I really like the way the soft corals respond to those. The, the Zoas seem to really like those spectrums. So those, um, yeah, there's a handful of them scattered throughout the farm too. Are you guys um, dosing trace elements, you know, since you're running uh, macro, you know, in, in the refugiums, are you guys dosing specific elements or, or are you just um, leaning on water changes for that? So we, we don't, incorporate let's say you know completely water changed list systems um with the amount of coral we pack in there we definitely have to dose quite a bit of traces 
We still do water changes ideally once a month in the systems, and then small water changes obviously happen when we're shipping coral yeah. or you know acclimating new stuff, things like that. Um, but as far as trace dosing, the main ones that we're hitting are iodine, iron, strontium, potassium. Um, yeah, I mean, we're also incorporating sea elements from Julian Sprung. You know, those those ones are kind of being sampled a little bit here and there just because of some of the minor metals were coming up depleted in ICP testing. So that was another one that we were kicking around. And we had noticed slight differences in, um, you know, some of the coloration that was popping out of some of the corals since dosing those. And definitely a little bit better growth in the systems when you can keep those things from bottoming yeah. out. How often do you guys ICP test? You know, I'd love to do it every month. That's one of those things that we're slowly transitioning towards. Um, we, yeah, we definitely ramped it up compared to what we used to do. You know, it typically was something we were doing maybe quarterly yeah. or we would get snapshots on a system if it was running really well or if another system was showing signs of an unexplainable minor issue like let's say you know the montes looked a little funny or the polyp extension was a little off here or the growth rate was stunted in another system you know we'd throw an icp out and just kind of compare and contrast results to see if there was any smoking gun which you know a lot of times there's not necessarily one that just jumps out right. at you i mean that's one thing i would say icp is not a, a perfect science and there's no way to just look at a reef tank and say okay you know these exact parameters and these exact trace elements will equal perfect coral growth. Um, every system's different. So people kind of always have to take those things as a tool and an aid to kind of help guide you down the right path. And I think that's really the best way to do it. Have, have you guys ever um, run into, um, you know, RTN, STN issues and, and um, you know, done any um, treating with antibiotics to, to help kind of put a stop to that sort of thing? So it depends on the type of coral. I mean, if you're talking about acros, typically the way we handle that would just be cutting up into the healthy tissue and then sometimes incorporating uh, iodine yeah. baths. Uh, but for certain corals, like um, sometimes when we have brown jelly and things like that popping up, we've hit them with different techniques. Um, we've experimented with oxalinic acid. We've done Cipro for anemones more. Um, we've also done chemi clean sometimes for systems just as a broad treatment. If we do notice, uh, like a wild shipments coming in of euphilia or something like that, you know, we may hit it just as a precaution and, you know, something as a disinfectant and, and Zoas too. That's another one that has benefited sometimes when you, you know, hit them with a little chemi clean. So, you know, all those things, it's definitely something we would like to, um, incorporate more of we're working on setting up some hospital tanks right now as well for certain scratch and dent pieces that we're trying to nurse back yep. to health um, using some of these antibiotics now i have talked with a handful of people and i you know read on some of the posts about the, the full tank cipro dosing and then to be honest it scares me i mean it's a, it's a bit drastic so that's one we haven't really pulled the trigger on. I think what we're more willing to do is, is use that on systems that are small in water yeah. volume, 
where we could flush out and do 100% water changes with system water, mature system water, and tackle it that way. But you know, it's, it's a lot easier if you have a smaller tank, let's say a little reef tank, but when you have you know tens of thousands of dollars of <laughs> coral and colonies we've been growing for you know a decade plus, I mean, it's just, uh, I'm a little hesitant yeah. to just dose the antibiotics that straight makes, in there. That makes sense, but you guys have done um, full system treatments with ChemiClean. Yeah. 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 That one is nothing that we worry too much about. I mean, obviously it can make your skimmer go a little haywire and, you know, typically you get a couple water changes in and run some carbon and it'll clear it out uh, well, but haven't really had too many negative effects with that. You got, and I mean, most of our systems run pretty clean to where we're not, you know, having huge cyano outbreaks that would have to die off and that might spike your nutrients. Right. So that hasn't been as much of a factor, but I would say some people, you know, with different style of systems or what problem they're treating may, you know, be a little cautious with that and make sure they're paying attention to what's going on. I forgot. Do you guys use uh, UV? Uh, we do use UV in most of our systems. Yeah. You know, not necessarily a heavy, heavy wattage. And it depends on if we're trying to target anything like, algae issues or um you know anything a little funky we may run different flow rates through the uv or or run them a hundred percent or when we were starting off the systems sometimes we had to add additional uv sterilizers because when they were newer less mature systems uh, dinoflagellates was definitely yeah. uh something we had to battle a little bit and you know, that one can be a pain. Yeah, no, the UV can be very effective um, versus those uh, variety of dinos that are free floating. So um, I know that's definitely a good. Uh, yep. So, I mean, in, in terms of like the main, you guys are running those things 24 7 on, the, on these systems? In most, most of the systems. Of the systems. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty much for um, to mitigate any potential uh, algae issues. And um, what, I mean, what else? What, what else is the rationale to run? UV 24-7 on a, uh, you know, a coral system? Well, antibacterial, if you have potential for fish disease, depending on your flow rates, too, you can help uh, minimize the effects or the spread of those. Um, now, typically, that's not something we worry about because our systems mostly have mature fish that are QT, but, you know, it, it is a good tool to have, especially if you're going tang heavy in a yeah. reef tank um, for that reason. And definitely for some of those bacterial infections and allergies as well. Um, but we dose a lot of coral foods. So I'm not as worried about stripping out some of the natural plankton and natural foods that might be thriving. Um, and that would be one concern some people might have is over sterilizing a tank, that sort of thing. Um, but we, we don't really have that worry. And none of ours are sized up to the extreme not like a watt per gallon or anything more like what you would see on a fish only or a fish QT system. How, how much do you guys um, look at, um, you know, a, the, um, the composition of the bacteria in your systems? Have you guys ever done aquabiomics tests? Uh, have you, um, you know, thought about the impact of using UV? Cause I know I've used UV on my systems and, and I, I certainly can see from the aquabiomics uh, reports that the um, it's not as a diverse, I guess, bacteria population as if, you know, you're running it with um, without UV. I mean, is that something that there is uh, in a consideration 
for you guys in terms of the uh, the bacteria population? We had done some snapshot tests with those, um, mainly when we were having some unexplainable issues in one of the newer systems that was a fully quarantined system, started with 100% bleached rock and, and media and all that. So um, that was a concern, just the, the diversity of the bacteria. Um, what we had done is take some mature seeded biomedia and rock from one of our other farm systems and added that into it. Since what results we had received were showing that it was not necessarily ideal. Yeah. That being said, I mean, I would say even the samples we had sent out in the past weren't necessarily what they would claim would be ideal in a lot of our grow out tanks, but we didn't experience any issues there. It might just be comparing what you would find on a natural reef to what bacteria profile would survive in, in your tanks at home. I think there is a little difference there. And, and do you guys dose any bacteria to your systems? Uh, when we're starting new systems, we, we definitely do. You know, we use sometimes the, the Fritz. Uh, we also use Microbacter and XLM. Um, those are all different bacterias that we're trying to jumpstart a system. And we also, like I had mentioned previously, um, pre-cycle a lot of um, the ceramic medias and, and different things like that in our more mature systems. So we can take bags full of these spheres and load them up into a new system. Or let's say we have customers who are starting a new system, they can throw some of that in there. So it's kind of the equivalent of more the old school way of getting some pieces from your friend's yep. reef tank, you know, that that's 10 years old, you know, just to add a little more life and, and diversity. So, you know, that is something that we consider for sure. Um, as far as dosing bacteria on a regular basis, that's not something that we do unless we're trying to solve a problem. Now in the past, we have experimented a little bit with some of the, um, you know, different bacterias for, for cleaning algaes and, and um, you know, dealing with, dirty sand and things like that just um to you know see if it could kind of give us an edge or help out yeah overall yep so kevin you mentioned that you guys feed a lot of coral um food and i know um you guys do a lot of live cultured um food can, can mm -hmm. you talk to us about that in terms of what um what you guys are growing and feeding yeah so that, that's something that we've started within the last year um, we've always done a lot of feeding, you know, it's definitely something that we've used more of the reed mariculture products and, and powdered foods and things like that, or amino acids. But in the last year, we started culturing our own phytoplankton and growing rotifers in house. Right. And that's become something that's replaced the majority of the food that we're throwing in the reef tank, because realistically, I mean, what better than, than going 100% natural when it comes to that stuff? Right. You know, and it really helps keep things cleaner and the nutritional property on that's going to be uh, a lot better overall. Yep. And, and you're feeding uh, the phyto and the rotifers to, um, to all your systems, like including the SPS? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. um, so refresh our memories in terms of the uh, calcium and alkalinity supplementation. What are you guys doing? What are you leaning on? For, um, for that stuff. Uh, as far as the brands that we're no, using? I mean, you know, Calcium Reactor is Cockwasser. Um, yeah, okay. yeah. 
Yeah, so most of our systems, we try to get as much of the dosing done with the caulk losser. So we have caulk, uh, caulk reactors on, on pretty much all of our systems. Now, the main reason for that is, well, A, it's inexpensive, and, and B, it gives you a nice little boost on your pH. Yep. So um, for us, having systems that are just slam-packed full of coral, we can pretty much, I would say on, I think, 80% of our systems, max out all the evaporation with Kalkwasser. So there's some systems that we're pumping almost 20 gallons wow. a day of Kalkwasser. Yeah, there. that's a lot. So what your, your pH um, is uh, in what range, low to high, typically? I mean, we usually hover anywhere from 881 to 8.4 in that kind of ballpark, but typically we get it pretty flatlined in most of these systems. Uh, and what we do to achieve that is we, we tend to dose a little higher ratio of the caulk walser at nighttime versus during the daytime to help elevate that pH a little bit in the more depressed times in addition to running, you know, the, uh, the refugiums at nighttime as well. And then we would dose a little higher ratio of the alkalinity supplementation during the daytime gotcha. and to balance things out overall we would be dosing like i had mentioned um, the alkalinity you know calcium supplements and magnesium as needed gotcha so for those that um didn't catch the top of the show i just wanted to um say again that tsa and kevin have generously um decided to um give away two grafted coral packs to two of you lucky folks out there that are tuning in tonight and the uh the pack each pack has got a retail value of 750 bucks there's four corals in each pack the tsa tequila sunrise grafted satosa the tsa nuclear fusion grafted plating monte the tsa raspberry splice grafted acro and the tsa danger zone grafted encrusting monte and very soon we're going to do that giveaway <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be very soon. <laughs> um, I think, um, what, what, what was the other thing I was going to ask you there, um, Kevin? Oh, yeah, in, in terms of um, automation and what have you, you guys are leaning on um, controllers or whatnot. Are you doing a lot of controlling or is this mostly monitoring? Well, we do run Apexes on all of our systems. Um, you know, I'm a little old school never trust a robot, you know, it's, it's one yeah. of those things that we, we do use it for monitoring, but with the demand and the consumption that we have, I mean, you're talking about running things like, uh, you know, like, like, a, like an indie car. I mean, this thing is just absorbing and sucking out so much that if there's anything that falls offline, the alkalinity can fluctuate rapidly. Like, you know, we had issues before where a line popped on a caulk reactor and, you know, it can drop two points of alk within hours. Yeah. So it's really something that having people that we can trust on the team to test those key parameters often. You know, we definitely rely on that. And we do the dosers, um, you know, the, the, the dosing schedule through the apex, but we manually enter in those adjustments. We, we don't trust, you know, the, uh, the adjustments to be done for us. Now, we had experimented a little bit with the Mastertronic. Um, you know, it was all right, 
but it had some issues and, and tweaks and upkeep to the point where we didn't quite think it was worth it. But we have heard a lot of good things about the Alcatronic, and that's something we may look a little closer towards in the future. I mean, do you have any experience with that? I, I use the, uh, the KH director from GHL. So, um, you know, yeah. I, I, you know I, I test twice a day. <clears throat> With that, I don't do it. Mm -hmm. I don't use it for control. You know, you can use those things for um, for controlling the um, you know al alkalinity supplementation. But uh, I just like to monitor it, and you know, it's good. I think uh, you know, especially when I'm away, it's uh, it's nice to be able to kind of see what's going on. If if I'm away for like a week or, or what have you, and things are trending in one direction, it's nice to be able to um, you know course correct while you're, uh, you know, remote location. So that's cool. You know, obviously you guys don't have to worry about that. There's always, I'm assuming, somebody around to uh, to do that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. You know, with, with the team, I mean, even on the weekends, most of the work in the farm gets done during the weekdays, but we always have at least one person checking over everything, looking over the systems, making sure that, you know, there's no problems, doing the water testing, um, any you know, feeding and things that have to get done. So it's it's a full time thing. You know, I even stop over sometimes or have a couple of my guys, if they're in town and live nearby, go on Thanksgiving just for an hour or two just to make sure, you know, Coral never. Yeah, sleeps. I hear you, man. <laughs> Rob of State, New York. Thank you so much for that very generous super chat. As always, Keith hosting a great chat. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate it, man. Um, yeah, no, I would I would think that you guys always have to have some uh, some eyes on the uh, on the system. How many gallons do you guys have at this point in time? Oh God, I'm not even sure off the top like of my 20, head. Twenty thousand or something crazy like that? Uh, I mean, definitely tens of thousands <laughs> of gallons. You know, when, when I get that water bill and uh, the salt bill, that's where I start worrying about it. But the rest of the time, I just get numb to those numbers. <laughs> Electricity bill, all that sort of thing. Yeah, I know. We just added a few hundred gallons more recently. So, you know, that was a, a fun one, getting the new invert system going and a fish QT system and some Aptasia grow out systems for our Bergia culture operation. Wow. That's uh, you guys thinking of thinking about uh, thinking of everything there in terms of the uh, Aptasia grow out uh, system for Bergia. That's pretty insane um are you guys like down the road thinking about expanding the facility or getting into a bigger facility i mean obviously moving would be a pain in the ass <clears throat> yeah you know that's that's something we might just have to go double decker if we had to <laughs> uh you know figure something out there or, or if one of our neighbors moved but but really i think expansion is um you know something that would be dictated by the market and if the hobby continues to grow to the point where, you know, we have that demand to justify a larger facility, then, you know, we kind of roll with that and, and do what we got to do to keep the customers uh, satisfied. But, you know, I think where we're at right now, it's more about optimizing what we have, um, you know, stocking it properly, uh, keeping things organized, um, you know, getting new and fresh things in all the time. Uh, so, yeah, all those things are part of the job yeah. really what, what about any changes have you guys made any changes to your methods over the last couple of years any any major changes in terms of how you you know tend to the tanks well the big one we had mentioned was transitioning from the um you know the prepared fruit yeah. foods to the live feeds so that was definitely a big one you know we put a little more focus into sustainable um invertebrate culture 
So within a lot of our systems, we're breeding trochus snails, um, you know, some other some other critters like uh, micro brittle stars and stomatellas and, and colostemas. These are all little projects that we're kind of working on, as well as, believe it or not, um, sea cucumbers. Mm-hmm. We're culturing in our systems now naturally. You know, it's something that started up once we dosed the live feeds. They just started popping up with babies everywhere. So it was a nice little surprise. Yeah, those suckers really do multiply, don't they? I, I, uh, I had some, I used to have some um, sea cucumbers in, in one of my display tanks, and it just seemed like they were, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what, what, what do they do? I mean, they, uh, they kind of kind of split or something, don't they? Well, they'll actually uh, spawn and, and release the different eggs in the system, and they'll pop up all over the place. You know, we'll, we'll find babies in a lot of the detritus pits, in the overflows, uh-huh. and under the filter socks and things like that. Yep. But that is, um, yeah, that's, that's an interesting little one there. Um, Outside of that, changes that we've made, I think with the systems maturing over time and filling out, uh, we've decreased the amount of live rock that we've had in them. Some of the older sand beds we've removed. Um, now that we're feeding a lot more live feeds, uh, we're not as worried about it being a little too sterile. And, you know, the nutrient levels have been where we want them. So we're just trying to keep maintenance uh, as easy as possible. So, you know, outside of that, the systems have been running mostly yep. the same. Um, Jesse uh, Jahab- Jahavier, not sure if I pr- I'm probably totally hacked that up. Favorite utilitarian invert? Javier, maybe. What would you say there, Kevin? Your favorite utilitarian invert. I mean, you probably have to go with uh, the trochus snail. You know, those ones are just an excellent cleaner. The best thing about them is, is like I mentioned, they can also spawn in a lot of your systems, but they can write themselves. So a lot of your snails, once they get flipped over, they might just become hermit yeah. crab food. You know, these guys can actually reach around and flip their foot to the point where they can latch onto something and, and pull themselves up. So they tend to be one that lasts a lot longer in your reef tank. And they're good algae eaters overall. And they don't get so large where they become a bulldozer in, in the reef aquarium either. If you have a frag rack or something like that, that you have to worry about, you know, like a, a monster turbo snail. Yep go through and just clearing uh, everything it's uh, speaking of that nsb reefs mentioned um urchin you guys ever uh, use those they can definitely be bulldozers right yeah yeah i mean urchins you know i have a, a love-hate relationship with them you know like, like you said and and we were mentioning i mean bulldozing on frag racks can be a real issue now we do get a lot of the, the really tiny ones, the, the cultured ones from ORA and, and sometimes um, you know various resources for that. If we're trying to get them to get in between frag plugs to keep it clean and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and as they grow out, we move them into our larger displays where we have those uh, array systems with the claws. Now, we don't really have to worry about them doing any damage in there and knocking things over. And they do an excellent job cleaning algae. Um, for us, an added benefit is actually that they consume, a lot of them at least, uh, a good portion of the coralline algae. Yeah. So, you know, that, that helps 
us, you know, keep some of those nice traces and, and some of the uh, extra minerals there for the corals rather than for the coralline algae. Yep, I hear you. Um, all right, folks, I think, uh, I think it's time to do the, uh, to the contest here. Let, uh, let me just uh, quickly review again in terms of what TSA is going to be uh, giving away here. So we've got the, uh, the TSA Nuclear Fusion Monty Cap, really very cool. Um, some of these pictures are actually courtesy of uh, Reef Builders. They did a video. They visited you guys there, um, Kevin, and um, shot some of these and, and a couple of these pictures I got from your your website. But um, this is the uh, the TSA Danger Zone. Uh, and then we got the TSA Tequila Sunrise Grafted Satosa. Really, really cool. And then the uh, the TSA Raspberry Splice. So each pack will have those four corals retail value of 750 bucks all right everybody ready this is uh this is how you got a chance to win um one of these packs we've got two two um packs and rules yeah okay this is for con continental united states only and two winners so the and no multiple submissions. That happens uh, sometimes in these giveaways. No multiple <laughs> submissions. If you have a multiple submission, we're gonna we're gonna throw out all, any other submission that you have. So just submit once. Uh, the twentieth person and the fortieth person, four zero. The twentieth and the fortieth who contact me via my contact form, my website. That's reefbum.com/contact. Put. TSA giveaway in the subject heading and that's how you enter so you got to kind of figure out how you're going to be that winner and the 20th person and the, the 40th person that contacts me via the uh, the contact form so again Kevin and TSA thank you guys so much for this uh, generosity and and uh, good luck to all you folks out there that are that are watching in terms of winning the uh, the contest and I'll um I'll I'll reach out tomorrow to the winners and and let you know. We're not going to we're not going to reveal the winners tonight. That would be uh way too much going on for me doing this live stream and trying to figure out who won. So um so Kevin, this is a good uh jumping off point to talk about um grafting corals, right? And and so I mentioned that reef builders visited you and and I'm going to run a um, some clips from this reef builders video of all the uh, the different grafted um, pieces that you guys you know have so um, first of all can you explain what a grafted coral is so that's when you have two different colorations that are merged to the point where it's actually one piece growing together so that's going to be you know the same species like uh, i'm sure you've probably seen the grafted caps um one of the more common acros was the um you know the the rainbow splice that was a multicolored uh, millipora you know so you would see those two tones but rather than where you have two colonies growing together and kind of butting up and just coexisting they're actually connected and have become one. And the closer you get to those various points, you'll even see the pigments swirling and mixing and transitioning um, into the, to the two opposing colors. 
in many cases. So sometimes it takes and sometimes it doesn't, right? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to, to grafting, you know, it's, it's part experimentation and, um, you know, a big part luck from what I've seen over the years. I mean, that's, that's definitely one of those, those factors. I mean, we've tried lots of different ones. Um, we have so many of the different corals crammed in our farm of the same species where we've mixed and matched and made grow out discs, um, tried different techniques for, for mounting them and fusing them um, to where it just didn't quite go. And then we've had some that were a smashing success. And it tends to be the ones that we're manufacturing, the process can be repeated again and again and again. Whereas some of the um, you know, other instances, you'll see them, It'll look like they might be starting to connect, but then over time you'll you'll see the connection point where those corals actually start to wall up, and that's when you kind of know that eh, that one's not going to take. Um, so yeah, that's that's definitely a factor. I would say in the acroporas, uh, a lot of the ones that we've had pop up have happened naturally in our facility, and I think that's attributed just by having so many different varieties of acroporas crammed in a captive space. And even some of your classic ones like um, Pink Cadillac, we had a couple random spots on one of our colonies pop up with you know some of that um, green fluorescent protein, which is where you see that neon green pigment forming that usually is the second color tone that you would find on those acros. Um, PC Rainbow is another one that we've been growing for years and years and years. That coral's been around for, gosh, I don't even know, maybe two decades, I think, at this point. But we had one colony that had one little spot pop up. And over the months, we've been trying to promote that with selective cutting and, and um, you know, fusing the colonies to develop a full piece that really shows that off and, and, and develops more of those swirls and, and coloration. But those are some of the ones that we have in the works right now. You know, the main one that is probably our more well-known one is the fruity splice. Um, you know, that one, you've probably seen the video on I should, yeah, I, mean, I that, that part of the, uh, part of the video I just showed had the uh, fruity splice on it. Yeah. Now that one, you can actually see, where it's been fused and the green part with that green fluorescent protein after i initially isolated it i'd actually removed different sections of it and then grafted it back to the main colony and to other colonies that were your standard fruity pebbles and that actually would merge over time and then start developing that swirling effect and, um, you know, just start promoting more and more of that green growth where you'll get a colony that's just going to have a mix match of all those different colors. Not necessarily just, you know, one colony that has a little piece that's going to show that green. It turns into a real stunner if you put in the work to kind of promote that and shape so what, it. You got to look at it like a bonsai yeah. tree. Almost. So, I mean, what is the process of grafting a coral? Is it simply just cutting off a branch of um you know the uh, the coral 
that um, you know there's there's one coral that's a different color than the coral that you're grafting to, right? So you're basically taking a branch of one coral and just kind of gluing it to uh, the other coral. I mean, so what what's what's the process? I mean, what um, you know, how do you execute a grafted uh, you know try to get a coral to graft and and um, you know have those um, colors come out in, in both colors come out in one coral? So. The, some of the different techniques we had done would be cutting it to the point where we would have exposed edges um, at close proximity. That was, you know, mildly successful. I mean, definitely a lot more with the Montipora. Yeah. Um, the Acropora, again, I mean, as far as the forced grafting, there hadn't been as much success with that, except for the ones that had the same, that GFP infection on those various parts. So we would fuse them next to each other again in close proximity. Now, I mean, I tinkered around to where I had the exposed parts and just the tissue touching. Hadn't really noticed that much of a difference in, in how it took. So I wouldn't say that that was um, you know, necessarily a game changer or something that I would recommend people to, to try out. But even when I'm grafting a piece back to another colony, you know, I would chip off a little piece, put a dab of glue on there, take a small piece of the different color and then attach that and then let it encrust back together to where those colors will meet and become one and start the, the mixing process. And that's what we'd be doing for those acros. When it comes to the Montes, a lot of it would just be making a big plate of every Monty combination that I have in the farm and just cutting little pizza slices of all those and just really trying to see if if any of those would would take and you know start popping up with um you know that that true grafting now we've made some pretty cool pieces that swirled around each other that didn't necessarily take but we've also had a success with a three-colored monty cap which is one we haven't really released to the public yet but I, there's a couple sneak previews out there that that people have seen it but it's pretty that's sweet. pretty cool Yep, two two shades of green, the standard kind of darker green, and then that almost yellowish ultra fluorescent green along with the red. And we're developing certain colonies right now that have the striping and the veining with all sorts of different color combinations. So, you know, outside of that realm, we're even making one that's um, got the two shades of green as well as, um, you know, a different variety. And there's just some interesting stuff you can make. Do out you of guys that. have the um, the rainbow splice? I mean, is that um, something that you acquired, or was that something that um, that uh, was? Uh, I don't even know who started the rainbow splice. Was that kind of like the first grafted coral out there? I think that was the first one that was really popular. I mean, there's been some popping up over the yeah over a long, long time, but. You know, that was definitely the one that got, I think, the trend kind of jump-started. So we, we do have a smaller piece of that growing out. You know, we started it from a itty-bitty frag at a show, and it's it's doing its thing, but it'll take a little while before it's ready, um, you know, to, to really kick out to the public. Do, do you think the odds of a successful um, graft, let's say, with an acro is, um, you know, should the acros be of the same species? Like, should you be grafting two millies together? Or should you be grafting two uh, tenuous together? 
yeah, if you're going to be doing it, you really need to be going with the same species. Um, that that's definitely the way to go there. Now, that is a whole nother conversation because you know you start getting into the the genetics of the coral and you know some of those that you would think are exactly the same may not be um and some that we are pretty darn sure are the exact same species they just don't take a lot of time so with the aquapora it's it's definitely a, a bit of a tougher one i would say you can't just say, oh, I'm going to go to the store and buy five rainbow tenuous colonies and I'm going to make the craziest rainbow tenuous uh, ever. You know, it's not that simple. But I think by having them long enough in your system, in a closed system in captivity, you're a lot more likely to have that happen, especially if they're in close proximity. And if you did do some experimentation where you tried to, to merge them together. That being said, even on a lot of those, I've had one type that will start to slowly overwhelm the other one and and wall up and and that sort of thing so you know you have to really keep an eye on them and, and see what happens when they meet so you what what i'm hearing maybe i maybe i misunderstood you're um so if you want to get two corals let's say two acros and you want to get them grafted you're splicing one branch onto the uh to the other uh coral right but you're also having the colonies in close proximity to one another is that um part of the equation well, the idea of having the colonies in close proximity is, is the hope that something would occur naturally within your system, you know, which for Acropora tends to be, unfortunately, the case. It's not as easy as, as just gluing the branches right. together. You know, sometimes it may work. And it seems to be that the, the, the fluorescent green variety, if you can get one that has that, that's going to be your best chance of splicing two together. What, um, so in terms of growing out these grafted corals, you know, successful mm -hmm. uh, grafted corals, what, um, and you hear this all the time in terms of, well, you know, the, uh, the rainbow splice, if you get a green branch, you know, just green color in it, you get a frag of that, uh, it's not going to develop any of the red. You know, but I've, I've also heard other people say that they did have a single color frag from a uh, grafted coral and it did develop other corals. What, what would you say is your experience in terms of frags that have that one uniform color from a grafted coral actually developing both the colors from that grafted coral? You know, that's going to be species dependent, I would say, a lot more than just, um, you know, a uniform rule. Uh, when it comes to the acros, I would say you're really going to most likely need to have both of those colors, at least represented to some degree. And I definitely noticed that the green fluorescent parts seem to dominate more than a lot of the original coloration and base colors of those corals. So. That's one thing I put in, um, you know, in practice when I'm making frags sometimes is I may even mount a little extra of the regular colony to a spliced frag just so it doesn't, during that encrusting phase, let the, the green fluorescent part kind of overwhelm it and take over to the point where you end up with just an all green piece. I know that's definitely something a lot of people, um, you know, get turned off by the spliced frag. So 
we look at that and we try to make pieces that will turn into a really amazing colony. Right. Um, now with Montipora, we've definitely seen solid color pieces pop up with those colors, you know, a little more randomly, even if they didn't necessarily represent that, um, you know, over time. So I would say it's a lot more likely with that to happen, but I hadn't really seen it as much with, with acros. Yeah. You know, the only, um, spliced or uh, grafted Monty that I've ever fragged that I've ever um, tried was the um, I guess it was the worldwide corals grafted uh, Monty cap it looks like the uh, mm -hmm. fusion cap and um, you know I got it I think I got it from Jason Fox years ago and, and it did have both um, colors the uh, the orange and, and the green but it um, the orange just kind of like overwhelmed it and now I've got this ginormous orange cap that uh, has no no green yeah. in it, which is a uh, bummer. But I guess that's uh, you, it's it, it's kind of like no hard set rules, right, on these things. Well, that a lot of that comes down to getting the right starter mm -hmm. piece. So when we're developing a lot of our mother colonies for grow out, we scour the whole farm, look at all of our colonies, and then try to find like let's say on a, a Monty cap, a growth edge that has a lot of striping and, and veining as we like to call it, where you'll really have those colors alternating significantly. And if you get a piece that starts like that, that tends to make a much more beautiful colony once it grows out. Now you'd be blown away if you come and visit our facility at, at some of these mother colonies that we have. I mean, just just crazy striping patterns and some of the ones we have in the works too, like I mentioned with the, the three colors. Now that one's a, a tough one to really try to get those to, to consistently alternate. But, you know, we, we offer the frags where we, we would call them premium grafted frags mm. versus like a standard one, which might be more half and right. half where you're going to end up with that half color, half color colony. That being said, you could still manipulate them yourself. So for you, you could actually cut out a good chunk of that red and remove it to let the green get a little bit more of a foothold in there. And then you could even glue green parts into different sections or along the growth edges of your red cap part. And eventually they would merge back together. And it may take a little bit to look pretty, but you'll get a lot more mix growing out of that if you give it time. You know, like I said, you got to look like uh, look at these pieces almost like a bonsai tree that you're you're pruning and, and manipulating them and, and tweaking them. I think that's a big part of the fun. And that's something that, you know, me being in the hobby for a long time. I mean, I I, I find it fascinating. I, you know, sometimes you get a little bored with things. So, you know, for that aspect, it's uh, it's interesting to me to really watch the growth. It, it helps me tune in more to the corals and uh, really pay attention to those certain ones. Yeah, no, it sounds pretty cool, but it also sounds like you got to put a lot of time in, and and that uh, there are hits, but then there's also a lot of misses. Yeah, it's like anything, experimentation, trial and error. Yeah. But that's why we're here, and, you know, if you find the ones that you like, then we, we do sell those frags, and we can sell them with the ones that 100% work versus, you know, the, the failed experiments. Those ones will end up in the uh, the heap. Yeah, <laughs> of all your, uh, your grafted... Um, you know, um, acros and Montes, what, uh, what would be your favorites in terms of, uh, let's say one acro and one Monty? I mean, the favorite spliced acro. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that would definitely be our, our fruity splice. You know, that, that piece, the fruity pebbles is just one of my favorite pieces in general. And the fact that we were able to get the grafted part of that um, has made it a real stunner. And it's, it's one we've been growing in captivity for about a decade now. So, you know, it's, it's very, very stable, grows in a lot of different water parameters, um, you know, colors really easily. So definitely a nice, nice piece. And it's got a really cool growth texture and shape to it. Um, as far as other ones, I mean, the Monty, I'm really getting attached to that tricolor. Yeah, graphic sounds, that. that sounds pretty cool. Um, I've got your um, your regular uh, TSA um, free pebbles, awesome red uh, coral. What? So, what, where where'd the green come from? Any was that a name piece? So that's kind of where I was saying that the luck factor comes into play. So it started from one little random speck of fluorescent green that had popped up on one of our colonies in the grow. Wow. And then from there, we had cut it out and removed it and then promoted that part to where it got a lot more of that fluorescent green growing by itself and then sliced that up and spliced it back and grafted it to another colony in various areas to develop what it looks like now as far as having that nice diverse mix with all the different swirling that that has popped up but it all started from one little speck that's really cool man so like just it randomly happened you didn't uh, you weren't trying to initiate that no i mean that's one thing i would mm. say i mean i, I want to take credit on it but <laughs> you know on a lot of the acros i think it is more luck that comes into play and um a lot of dedication and consistency when it comes to selective fragging and um, really manufacturing those colonies over time. I mean, once you find that that little glimpse of hope, you got to jump on it and yeah. and really work. With it. I mean, does coral spawning come into play in terms of this whole process? Do we know if that's part of the of the equation? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, our facility isn't really set up to promote coral <laughs> spawning. I mean, that's something where you'd have to have you know, really strict blackout periods from my understanding, um, you know, and, and heavy, heavy feeding requirements to, to have that be something that's, that's really viable. But yeah, that's not really something that we have going on. I mean, we have reverse light cycles in a lot of ours. I mean, we do have fairly decent blackouts, but nothing that would be to the level we would need to really have anything spawn, you know, outside of like Pasilloporas and some bird's nests and things like that, which you that know. happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so folks that uh, <clears throat> might be just uh, tuning in, wanted to um, again, mention the uh, very generous TSA grafted coral pack giveaways. And uh, we thank TSA and Kevin for, for doing this two packs, two different winners. Um, the way to enter, and this is for continental United States only, and uh, only one submission per person. Multiple submissions will be tossed out. We'll only keep the uh, the first submission. And the way to enter the giveaway is to visit reefbum.com slash contact. That um, address is in the chat that um, Paul put up there, Great Bearded Reefs, and thank you, um, Paul. <clears throat> and uh, put TSA giveaway in the subject heading and I will um, contact the two winners tomorrow and 
and uh, TSA will get out those, uh, those packs. Two winners, and again, it's the 20th person and the 40th person who contact me via the contact form at reefbum.com slash contact with TSA giveaway in the uh, subject header. Good luck to the, uh, to the folks out there that entered the, um, the contest. This was a, uh, something I saw in the, uh, thanks Paul, something I saw in the chat. Fusion versus a graft. Is that just nomenclature, or are there actually two different um, things going on there in terms of fusing a coral versus grafting a coral? Uh, my understanding, that's just more of a, a different term that, that's kind of synonymous. Um, you know, if you're talking, I mean, some people may call it fused if they just happen to coexist without stinging each other. But, yeah, that's that's not really grafting or, or truly fusing that it. happens to me all the time fused yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um you mentioned also kevin uh, earlier uh, genetics and um talk to us about genetic testing and, and how that comes into play for splicing corals you guys do a lot of genetic testing no it was something that was a question that we we had and it was just something we had kind of chatted about amongst ourselves in our aquaculture facility of, of what might be really going on from uh, the genetic level. And we did do a little more digging into that. And it, it seems that most of the research and the efforts being done on the corals, it's, it's more about defining just what species they are. And it, they haven't really gotten to the point where at least anyone I've encountered in the industry has gotten to that point where they start discussing some of the um, genetic differences that would dictate the color changes within the species, like some of the chroma proteins and things like that, that may show up if you really got in depth on that genetic level. Um, so that's not really something we have any definitive answer on as far as what it is. I mean, they pretty much would say, oh, well, one half is a you know, this species and the other half is this species, but that that's about all the information we were able to get. Now, I'm sure it could be done, but I bet it would be pretty expensive. And, you know, without government funded money on that sort of thing, I don't think that's going to be as practical for us to to get our foot in the door for for our, you know, nice reef tanks, just having some fancy designer corals. Yeah. Do you guys want to do more grafting, um, you know, as you go along? Is this something you guys are going to focus more and more uh, attention to and, and more resources to? Oh, yeah. I mean, any piece that I see out there that's different than what I got, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely try to add to our collection. I mean, at the end of the day, our aquaculture facility, I mean, it's, it's just a, a giant arc of coral. So any unique pieces that you know, that I really like and, and we think that our customers will like is something that will add to our collection. So, you know, we actually got the grafted digis um, growing out right now as well. Like I had mentioned, some of those ones that are in the works, um, it may be years before they're big enough to really market, like the PC Rainbow with the graft and, you know, some of those other ones that I had previously mentioned. Um, I mean, I even had a couple tenuous uh, rainbow tenuous like a, our, our garden of eden now this is one that's been a uh, reef raft garden of eden one that has been just a pain in my butt for years hadn't grown had been a stubborn one but 
somehow stayed alive through all the ups and downs and has finally got healthy. And once it got healthy, I noticed it had one little line of that fluorescent green popping up. Wow. So that could be a really interesting piece um, whenever we get that one rolling, you know, as far as a rainbow tenuous that's crafted. And I did have another one. I believe it was a haymaker that had a little little speck of green popping up. So it's definitely something that, you know, I try to maybe every month or two when I'm looking over the farm, see any specks and things that pop up. I actually just picked up a wild colony um, from your friend, uh, Chris Meckley over at ACI. And I swear, I think I noticed just a little hint of neon green. And, you know, if you've seen that one, he might not. Have, yeah, I was going to say, did he, did he notice that before he uh, <laughs> gave it to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? It was hard to see on those um, those metal halide lights and, and some of those other systems. But, yeah, that one, I don't know. I mean, it's just a little speck on the bottom of a spat so that that one will have to see what it does so i mean what do you do like uh, you're basically you're just trying to cut out a branch or a piece of that acro with the speck on it to or are you waiting for that speck to get a little bit bigger well that's the problem because if the speck is in the middle of a colony the odds of that just developing a branch right on that spot and actually promoting growth is so slim so then you run the risk, do I run a bandsaw through that right in the middle of that or nick the edge where you can get it to start bleeding that color out or clipping it in that spark, in that little spot to try to spur a little bit of growth. I mean, there's, there's different techniques you can try. Um, so a lot of times I do let it sit, see if I can get it to spread a little bit naturally. Yeah. And if it gets large enough, I'll typically try to split it right through the middle and then get two pieces that may have it bleeding off the edge with the new encrustment. And then you kind of trigger that spreading. And, and the more you can do that, as long as it doesn't close itself off, you can continue working with it and getting more branch growth and more encrustment. And really, the more of that unique tissue that you get, the more you can remove and splice back into the new growth branch tips at the top of the colony and try to get that to spread and mix throughout the whole colony. So it is a process and you have to have real, you know, fine eye and fine touch. But once you see them, you got to treat them like gold. Sounds like, man, you're performing surgery on these corals. Oh, every day. <laughs> uh, Chris says he remembers that piece and he's uh, crying there. Um, oh. I'm sorry, man. I'll, I'll give you a frag in, in five years when it's ready. <laughs> Amanda, this is the creative part of farming. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. One last question for you, man, about um, grafting. And then um, I see John Wright's got another different question. And folks, just, uh, yeah, if you want to drop any other questions and comments for, uh, for Kevin in the chat, uh, go for it. The, uh, any particular parameters that seem to be uh, more conducive or graphs to take? You know, that's one I wouldn't really be able to answer definitively because we haven't really run experiments um, to determine that. All I would say just by, you know, best guess would be the environment that's going to promote the most growth. Mm -hmm. So usually when you're talking about most of your, you know, hard corals like that, you're talking about um, you know, stable parameters, proper nutrition, uh, elevated pH, all those factors 
um, you know, would really come into play. Gotcha. All right, man. Um, anything else you want to mention about uh, grafting? Or did we uh, cover it all? I mean, I'm sure that there's always more out there, but maybe some of your your viewers will chime in with some pieces that, that they have or anything unique down the road. You know, I'm interested to see what else is out there, really. You get a lot of people uh, pumping you for information about how you guys have had success doing that stuff? Yeah, we have some. Yeah. You know, that's definitely, um, I think, something that's a little newer in the hobby and, and a little more uh, niche. It's, it's um, you know, not something that every customer is into, for sure. But, you know, I think a lot of the, the stickheads out there definitely appreciate anything that's really different and unique that can challenge them. So, well, you know, that's always something new. You got me thinking, man. <laughs> yeah. um so uh john wright's asking does kevin think flow is more important than lighting i mean that's that's a tough question right there i mean really they're both extremely important um depending on the type of coral that you're keeping you know i would say that but really it wouldn't be one or the other it would be you know it, it would be something that it's pretty easy to optimize both these days with with the controllability that we have with led lighting and and the um, variable flow pumps so dialing in the proper flow and lighting is more something that you would just really have to use your eyes see how the coral responds and kind of know the species that you're keeping and the general recommendations which any of that information you can reach out and um, you know, we can help you out with all that too. If you have any questions specifically to, to help optimize things in your tank. Um, Brandon, Scott, we talked about the traces that TSA is using. You guys um, mentioned uh, Kevin, iodine, iron. I think there was a couple mm -hmm. others that you guys are uh, dosing. Um, three keys for coloring up SPS corals. Well, I would say the most important thing would be probably stable parameters in general. You know, you want to really keep those levels locked in to those sweet spots. Obviously, if you've gone through huge alk swings and things like that, that's where you'd notice, you know, losing color, pieces, um, you know, not doing well, alk burn, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, lighting is definitely another very important area. You know, you can bring out a lot of different colorations depending on the, uh, the spectrum of light that you hit it. We've had really good luck pumping them, uh, when we're running high, I would say not ultra low nutrients. We tend to, to keep detectable nitrate and phosphate at decent levels and we pump them real hard with high intensity lighting that's heavy on the blue spectrum and it brings out a lot of fluorescence in these pieces. Um, outside of that, I mean, the trace elements can definitely be a big factor. Now, I wouldn't overthink that as far as a lot of that comes down to your personal tank. How packed is that tank? How quickly are they competing the corals themselves competing with each other to consume all those traces. You know, we've noticed trace dosing being significantly more in, important when it comes to coloration in our systems that are just slam packed full of uh, high demand coral, uh, especially our acro grow out systems. But in newer tanks, 
water changes a lot of times are good enough to keep those traces solid to where you can still pull really good colors. So, you know, I would almost balance trace dosing with, with nutrition and almost say like a big four, you know, proper nutrition with the coral is, is another really important one feeding it, you know, those, those, um, planktons and, and sometimes aminos just to help bring out the health and coloration of those corals as well. What are you guys using in terms of aminos? What, uh, what brand? Uh, mostly we're using the aqua vitro fuel. You know, we've experimented a little bit with the, um, the coral aminos from two little fishes as well. And, you know, we'd use Brightwell a little bit in the past, but the, um, the fuel is what we mostly use. Gotcha. You know, we've strayed a little away from that because of some of the ICP results. Um, we're containing slightly high vanadinium. So we were a bit concerned because we did see some of that present in the fuel. So right now we're cross-referencing the ICPs to see if the reduction in fuel dosing affects those numbers. But, you know, don't I wouldn't say that should scare anyone off. I mean, we dose so much of that because our systems are so packed. The amount of coral foods that we're dumping in here, I mean, it, it's really not on a level that I think most people will be doing in their tanks at home. So anything that's going in that might have a minor contaminant is going to be amplified in our systems. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you guys like, uh, have you hired extra people just to keep those live feeds going there? I mean, that's a lot, a lot of, uh, feeds you probably need for those uh, systems. I'd imagine, huh? Oh yeah. That, that part of what we do is pretty much, um, one man's job. You know, we brought on Ross. I don't know if you, you met him. Not uh, sure I did. he, Let's see here. I know he's spoken about some of the, the planktons and different um, topics at some of the shows. So maybe maybe you'd see him as a guest speaker. I think he's actually doing one of the aqua shellas coming gotcha. up and, and the reef stock as well. But yeah, he's he's the man in charge of all the phyto and the plankton. And he's playing around a lot with the uh, pod production and, and the bergia. So he's pretty much in control of that wing of what we're doing. Cool. Um, talk to us, Kevin, about the uh, Top Shelf Aquatics Coral Smackdown. What is it, and um, why are you guys doing it? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was just something we thought would really be fun. Um, we had kind of talked about grow out challenges and things like that, and some of our, our friends in the uh, industry and and different hobbyists and, 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 you know, other people that we were close with, but we knew had really good SPS tanks. Um, we had invite invited to be part of this challenge. Um, on top of that, we had actually run a posting with reef builders to get one extra person to join the contest. And all these different people had submitted just stunning Reef tanks. I mean, a few that were pretty ugly, but you know, <laughs> across the board, there were some killers. Um, and it was hard to pick, man. I mean, you're talking about sifting through some amazing tanks. I mean, just chock full of acros. But we ended up getting that last contestant, um, you know, 2C. I think a lot of people have seen his tank. And yeah. um, it's very impressive. He's uh, He's been a, a guest on this uh, live stream, and he's going to be a, a guest uh, again coming up. But yeah, he's got a sick tank. Yeah, so the other thing that really intrigued me is just seeing how these corals 
knowing that they're, you know, aquacultured ones starting as frags that we know grow well, what different results all these different people would have growing these things and tracking it in different tanks. And, and just, I think there's a lot of, of um, information to be had just to see, you know, you could have great results and do it in this case, six different ways. So you have six contestants growing six different acros and to see if this person runs, let's say low nutrients, or this person has, um, you know, a certain type of lighting and, you know, this person runs a certain type of pH or, you know, this person's running um, heavy trace element dosing with ICP and yeah. all that. Um, just to see what kind of growth rate differences and coloration differences that, that they're going to get from these corals just is very fascinating to me. And I think anyone else who, um, you know, tunes in, we keep in tabs with that. I mean, they should be posting update videos and pictures throughout the process, um, you know, every couple of weeks or so, and it's going to run for six wow. months. So, you know, it's interesting to see where these things grow. So, um, what uh, what are the frags that people are uh, the contestants are growing out, and um, what are they going to win? What's the winner going to win? So the frags that are being grown are you know my favorite there the the fruity splice, nice. and then we got the raspberry splice, which is another grafted acro of ours. Uh, we also have the four loco, which is a really really pretty bushy um, you know colony. That one, um, the Harvey Wallbanger, which is, I would say, kind of similar to a strawberry shortcake. Uh, we have the Orange Sickle. That's one that same species as a Paletta Pink Tip, but it's more of a orange base color as opposed to the green that you would have on the Paletta Pink Tip, with a little bit more of a purple on the on the tips. So that one's, um, you know, really really nice. And then we also have the Long Island which is uh, another beautiful coral, has orangish colored polyps, um, you know, different colored coralites. Yeah, so, yeah, some nice pieces, some really nice and, pieces. And uh, what's the uh, grand prize? So they're giving away pretty much a whole tank setup that was donated from, um, you know, various vendors that, you know, really bought into the idea and, and wanted to, to kick in to, to make this uh, something that would really get the guys motivated to put forth their their best effort. So on top of that, then they'll have this amazing SPS tank and then they can have a second other <laughs> how, tank. How big is the, uh, the, the tank that's uh, going to be in the, uh, the, the... I forget the exact gallonage, but I think it was around 100 gallons or so, you know, so nothing crazy big but a nice second tank that that you could do a lot of different stuff with and um yeah maybe make into a frag tank nice. or something who knows it's up to the winner so you know we'll see uh we'll see who really gets these things growing i'm really interested to see what polo reef has in store you know with those um huge water volumes he's working with over there that's another thing that yeah. intrigues me seeing you know massive systems like that potentially in play versus smaller isolated systems that are being micro. I got those guys on next week, I think, and um, I'll ask them that question, how it's going. Um, intri intrinsic Reef, thank you so much for that super chat. These interviews have renewed some of my passion for this hobby job. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, Chris from ACI, 
uh, talking about the uh, Coral Smackdown frags. If they were grown with LEDs and the grower grows them under metal halides, the coral will not grow much in this experiment. LED to LED with wind. <laughs> I think that definitely could be a factor in some situations. The good thing about our corals is we do have actually the same types being grown in captivity, some under 100% LED, some being grown under mixed spectrum where we would be hitting them with some daylight periods with the metal halides. So I think that there would be a pretty steady transition, but it definitely could be a factor. Yeah, there's just so many variables in play, but like you said, it'll be interesting to kind of see if there is a clear winner and in terms of how that um, clear winner stood out in terms of any methods that might have been different from the others, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, okay, um, uh, changing the um, changing it up here. Monster Yoon, can you guys talk about interceptor in reef tanks? So I think the question is um, hitting, let, let's say, an SPS tank with interceptor, a full interceptor type of um, treatment is um what are your uh, what are your thoughts on on that kevin i mean i guess obviously um sometimes that needs to happen if you've got some uh, parasitic copepods in a system there is um interceptor is also kind of tough to get these days i guess but um is that in in your uh, arsenal there in terms of quarantining frags do you guys hit quarantine stuff or new stuff you bring in with uh interceptor? oh yeah I mean, we're, we're really strict when it comes to pest prevention uh, a lot of the, the corals that we release go through that process. Like, uh, you know, whenever I bring in new acros, we put them into a holding system that's isolated. And then we would run three consecutive treatments weekly of the interceptor. And, you know, that's going to really be the main, the main thing you're targeting there is the red bugs, obviously. And the white bugs have been a much bigger problem with a lot of the maricultures that have been coming in. Oh, that's definitely something that we've seen popping up from uh, wild pieces a lot more often uh, as well. So hitting a full reef tank, I would hope you wouldn't have them in there to begin yeah. with. But if you did, it's usually not that stressful. Though if you do have a mature reef tank, especially with a sand bed, you're going to be nuking a lot of that microfauna in addition to other, um, you know, invertebrates with a, an exoskeleton. So, you know, that you have to be conscious of and maybe move out some of those critters ahead yeah. of time if possible. And the ones that you can't remove, you know, be conscious of any die off that, that might affect your nutrient levels and, and things like that. You know, obviously a person with a bare bottom system is a better candidate for less of an impact uh, on that or a frag tank or you know ideally everyone would have a qt tank of their own if they were bringing in wild pieces that they would isolate them and and run similar treatments and do some other dips in addition to that for other pests that are common with acros like uh, acroating flatworms and you know black bugs which are a little more common these days as well too when you when you bring in uh, wild pieces or maricultured pieces or whatever and you do get the acroating flatworms on them what's your protocol there well, really, when it comes down to the acroating flatworms, they're easy to kill with the dips. Right. The problem is the yep. eggs. 
So really the removal of the eggs and dipping properly and system transfers, that's the key. So biggest issue is a lot of people who don't have a quarantine tank or they don't buy quarantine corals, let's say you take a mariculture, you don't really have anywhere to put it. You know, if you dip it, there may be some egg sacs um, hidden inside the uh, skeleton or under a ridge of a piece that you just couldn't even put eyes on. You know, so it's it's risky. It's it's a, a, a tough one there. And in my experience, once they're in a system, it's um, very, very difficult, if, if not impossible, to remove them without actually removing all the Acropora and then QTing them following the system, which would be running it without that species of coral long enough to potentially, um, you know, let the pest die off and then reacclimate right. it. Right. Yeah. So I would always recommend if you're collecting certain species that are prone to a lot of pests, being very cautious when acclimating on uh, new ones into a system. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's good policy. And, and uh, yeah, quarantine tank is uh, is is uh, worth the extra expense. You know, if you have the room to put like a little 20 gallon breeder tank or, or something like that in a, in a space and, and um, you know, get that uh, process going. I mean, what would you say is the um, the, you know, the amount of time that you guys have corals in a in a quarantine system. I, I assume you guys have se several layers of uh, quarantine. Yeah, so our intake process, like I had mentioned, um, where we're running the interceptor treatments, you know, weekly we would be looking over those pieces um, for any signs of acaridine flatworms. Um, they're dipped when they come in. Um, they have follow-up dips as well during any process where they're transferred after that period. And then they go into another system that would be kind of a, what we call a soft QT system, where we would grow those pieces out, get them healthy enough to survive what we call our full-on quarantine, which would be a process where we would actually do two months of weekly dipping and multiple rebasing going through multiple tank transfers. And that's the stuff that has made it into our full QT systems where no wild coral goes. You know, everyone washes their hands when they work in those systems. We have separate tools, separate frag racks, separate frag saws, all that kind of stuff just to avoid contamination. Because like I said, when those pests get in there, um, they can be, something you're going to be dealing with forever. Yeah. So, you know, knock on wood, I mean, we still haven't had any um, coral-specific pests make it into our full QT systems. I mean, they've been rock solid going for years, no flatworms, no bugs, um, no nudibranch, none of that in those systems. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. All right, man. So, Kevin, any um, any any final words before we uh, we wrap it up? Really appreciate you uh, taking the time to be here tonight, and also really appreciate the uh, the giveaways. Hopefully, um, people really appreciate it. it seems like they uh, they have, based on what I'm seeing in the chat. Awesome, yeah. I, I hope that they do well with them, and I hope they enjoy those pieces and you know grow them out to something really pretty. And like I said, just keep your eye on them, and don't be afraid to pull out the clippers and the glue and, and keep working on that piece and, and turning that into something that just looks amazing over time. You know, it's not about just buying the frag sometimes with those grafted pieces. It's about the, the journey into making that 
the colony of what it will eventually be long term. Yep. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. Yeah, always a, a pleasure talking to you, Kevin. Really um, very uh, educational, and, and I think we all uh, appreciate the uh, the insight and your um, perspective for sure. You guys uh, grow some kick-ass corals, so it uh, I'm sure it's very helpful for, for a lot of folks that uh, have been tuning in. So anyway, I want to thank uh, Kevin for being on the live stream, and I also want to thank both Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine for being a sponsor and supporting the uh, live stream. I also want to thank all you folks out there for tuning in and participating in the uh, in the chat. Thank you. Also want to thank Paul who is the moderator and the president of Boston Reefer Society. Please join and support your local reefing clubs. They are so important to this hobby. Also want to let you know that all episodes of Rapid Reef Bum are available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Amazon. My next Rapid Reef Bum live stream will be next Thursday, August 10th, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The guys from Polo Reef um andrew sandler and rashid story so that should be another great show if you want to check out the full upcoming schedule of guests visit reefbum.com under the youtube section so until then be safe and be well later <laughs>